Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. Uh, David. Yeah. We have not discussed when they will be listening to this, have we? I imagine Sunday, like usual. Okay, so we basically just skipped a week because yeah, of the Yeah, we took holidays. the holiday off, and eventually okay. we'll, as usual, we'll do two at some point. Okay. My work schedule has been crazy. Yeah. Uh, which is very depressing. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, coming back after um, the holiday weekend. I hope you had a good one. Absolutely. I hope you had some good turkey or tofurkey or what have you. Indeed. Um, I hope you enjoyed the football. Um, yeah, all right. <laughs> anyway, uh, that, that Saints-Cowboys game. You watched it, right? Oh, absolutely. It was a, a nail-biter. Those uh, Orlando Saints. <laughs> okay, you know where the Saints are from. <laughs> New Orleans? New Orleans. All right. Yes, that's why they have the uh, fleur-de-lis. Anyway. Whatever you desire. Um <laughs> That's not what Florida leave me. No, but it's from LA That's Confidential. It it's, um, yeah. Anyway, let's let's talk. All right. Um, <laughs> since we, yeah, we're a little rusty. Since uh, while we were gone, gone um, uh, as you mentioned to me beforehand, Irvin Kershner died. Yeah. Not that you, you didn't break the story to me. But right. Right. We were just talking about Irvin Kershner. Yeah. Um, you know, as uh, and I, I, you know, I'm. On the record on this podcast. That's a, that's the best thing about doing this podcast is that when I have an opinion about movies that later gets proven uh, right or just becomes a more popular opinion, I can say yeah. I'm on the record as having said, and yeah. I literally am. It's right there. Uh, so, yeah, I am on the record as saying that Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie, which is not exactly uh, yeah. a rare opinion. I think it's among yeah. people who know what they're talking about. It's uh, generally accepted as true. That's the spirit. Yeah. Uh, um, we also lost uh, Leslie Nielsen. Indeed. Um, which made me very sad. But yeah. then again, I mean, he was 84. Right. You know, we, sh- we should all live so long and yeah. and contribute so much. We had got, yeah, I mean, we got a lot from him, especially, I mean, in his later years. I mean, post, you know, age, you know, like 55, not to imply that that's old or anything like, like that. But, uh, you know, some, like, he really kind of got a second career. Uh, as a comedic actor, yeah, I guess because of Airplane. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, Airplane had um, that's what they did. They cast him. They cast Robert Stack. Yeah. They cast Lloyd Bridges. Yeah. And of course, Lloyd Bridges would then go on to be in the hot. Is he in both Hot Shots movies? Yeah, I believe he's so. Yes, in both. Right. Uh, and he's great in those. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it did g- give him a yeah. whole different career than I mean the, the career that he's most known for now. Essentially, is oh, the, absolutely, is the comedic one. And for good reason. I mean, he's yeah. uh, he's hilarious in Airplane. He's hilarious in the Naked Gun movies. Yeah. He was actually um, funny in Scary Movie 3, and I didn't mm. see Scary Movie 4, but I guess they brought him back. Oh, okay. Because 3 and 4 are the ones where the Zucker people t- yes, yes. took it over from the Wayans people. Yeah. And he was, uh, there's a movie called Spy Hard, which is only so-so. But of course, he's great. He's just really. I did. Oh, I saw that in the theater. I don't remember it. Yeah, I saw it as did I. And uh, and I was, I was excited to see it because Weird Al Yankovic did the wrote an original. Thong, he sure did an, an original thong, oh, an original oh song called Spy Hard. Um, see, I take a week off and oh. I start becoming even more mush mouth than usual. <laughs> uh, and then he was, of course, in Dracula Dead and Loving It, which mm-hmm. is not again not a very good movie. Um, and I would say uh, he's only so-so in it. He's often at his best when he's deadpan. 
and there's nothing about his performance in Dracula Dead and Loving It, probably as a function of Mel Brooks more than Leslie Nielsen. There's nothing about his performance that is deadpan. It's it's well, zany Mel, Mel and over Brooks the top. Mel Brooks wasn't exactly at the height of his career when he made it. No, not at all. Either. But uh, um, yeah, so we lost him, and it's and it's uh, very unfortunate. And, but yeah, uh, we we talked about his funny movies, but he was also he was a serious actor beforehand, which is why they yep. cast him in Airplane because that's what they were going for, sort of. Yep. Uh, these serious character actors. Yeah. Um, and uh, Of his serious roles, I think the only one I've seen is Forbidden Planet. Yeah, I think that might be true. So. Well, he's in, he's in Creepshow, right? I, uh, I, I haven't seen Creepshow either. Okay. So. Well, yeah, he's great in Forbidden Planet. Now we, now we look like a couple of dummies. Why? We took a week off. We didn't watch any Leslie Nielsen movies. It, I was busy. What a know? couple of dummies. <laughs> um, you know what I did watch? What's that? I went to a theater um, that is I'm not sure if it's called the Silent Movie Theater or if it's called Cinefamily. I think the theater is called the Silent Movie Theater. The people yeah. who program it are known as Cinefamily. Yeah. But people just kind of refer to the theater as Cinefamily now. Right. Anyway. Um and they show a lot of really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh the week, just a week or two before I went to see Class of 1984 there. Mm-hmm. Um I've seen uh I I've seen all kinds of stuff. Sometimes they show uh you know, weird crazy stuff you haven't heard of. Sometimes they you know, uh, they, they show, I guess, more serious stuff yeah. or stuff that's hard to see. And then yeah. sometimes, and I'm get maybe this is just how they pay the bills. They yeah. show just I, I I don't know what to call it. Well, it's, just like a like a a nostalgic classic. Like yeah. I mean, just uh, I won't even say like a cult classic because it's it's very much for people of a certain age, and we are right. that age. Right now, what did you see, David? I went to see Labyrinth. Okay. Um, now, directed by Jim Henson, starring a, Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie. Wasn't there a double feature? There was. The second feature was Walter Murch's Return to Oz. Oh, okay. I went to see Labyrinth, which I had never seen before, I'll right. admit. Um, and I think it, I think it's actually not a bad movie, but it's hard for me to say. Oh, okay. But I mean, you were there watching it. I mean, what, yeah. How, why, why aren't you able to say? And the thing is, I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm being too judgmental because it is a party type atmosphere. It's a it's a screening for people who are all into the same thing. Yeah. You know, I went to a, 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 I'll compare it. I recently went to, um, see a couple of movies that I had not seen. Um, there was the same thing in, in spirit, mm-hmm. a double feature of troop Beverly Hills and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Absolutely. This was more, uh, these are movies that my girlfriend liked when she was young. And so I, yeah. you know, it sounded fun and you know what? It was fun. Okay. The labyrinth one was not fun. Okay. And I think, I I think True Beverly Hills and Don't Tell Me the Babysitter Dead were filled with people who actually enjoy those movies. They maybe realize that they're not great, but they yeah. really just wanted to see those movies. And there was hooting and cheering and like people yeah. playing along with the movie. Well, those aren't and films. That's, that's okay. And those aren't films with an incredibly huge audience. Everyone right. at this point has not everyone, but like a lot of people our age have seen labyrinth whether you're male or female or whatever yeah. true beverly hills is very specific but i just want to compare the the audience right right because the true beverly hills audience was having fun yeah they were you know hooting or they were you know when the bad guys would show up on screen they would like boo okay and that that's that, fun it's fun and if that is what the labyrinth screening had been i would have been fine with that yeah and a lot of the a lot of people were doing that yeah but uh I just want to grab each one of these people by their shoulders and shake them and be like, do you realize when you watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, they weren't actually making all that shit up on the spot. They yeah. like, 
A, they wrote all that beforehand, and B, the professional fucking comedians. Yeah. You are not funny, and you are not quick enough. Yeah. So just shut up. Just shut up. So they were making they were making fun of Labyrinth. There was no actual uh, like there was no affection there. Is that that's the... that's? I mean, I'm, I'm painting the audience with a broad brush. There were plenty of people who yeah. were just there to enjoy it. Um, but there was a. Few, it sounds like there are a few uh, rotten apples in this barrel. Uh, enough to ruin the screening where I did. I didn't end up staying for Return to Oz. That is sad because it was a 35 millimeter print. I would have liked to. Have, I've only ever seen Return to Oz on VHS. Yeah, but I just couldn't do it. Uh, it, it was things like, okay. You've seen Labyrinth? Yes, I have. Okay. Yes. So you know, and yes, it's kind of funny that uh, David Bowie's uh, quote-unquote package is yeah. very highlighted yes. in, in, mo- in all of his scenes. Yes. And that's funny, but uh, like, it doesn't need to be pointed out to me every time. He's in the yeah. movie a lot. Like, yeah. I got it early on, <laughs> you know? Um, another thing, here's the, here's the dumbest example, the worst example of, of these people. Okay. Um, at the end, they're in the Goblin City. There's the battle in the Goblin City. Right. Uh, a bunch of goblins, uh, you know, they're chasing them all over the city. Yeah. Uh, and Ludo calls forth the rocks. Yeah. So the boulders rush to the town and roll over the goblins, and that's how they get free. Yeah. There's a part where there's a bunch of goblins, you know, with swords or whatever, they're ready to fight, and they're standing in sort of a V-type formation. Okay. And then uh, a boulder comes and knocks them all down. Like a boulder. Like a boulder. Bo- yeah, yeah. That's... And that... The visual joke, it's that's clear that's what it's supposed to represent. Right. Somebody down the road from me goes, strike! Like, yeah. Yeah. That's the it's joke. It's a strike. You yeah. Don't need to, you, did, you don't have any more insight to this movie than anyone else has. It's not like you've pointed out uh, the, some... It's, it's not yeah. like you're pointing out as one, hey, guys... That kind of looked like a yeah. strike. Isn't that like this thing? Maybe he did think that. Maybe he really thought like, you know what? That's kind of like this. I'm going to call other people's attention to this. Uh, it, it was it was a lot of that kind of shit. So I know uh, we already did a whole episode with Danforth France about uh, oh yeah the the pitfalls of going to a movie. But I feel like we need to talk specifically about these kind of screenings. Oh yeah. And again, the place was packed, and I'm sure this is what pays Cinefamily's bills. And yeah. the the guys who run Cinefamily um, are definitely interested in more than just nostalgia. These guys, these are guys who know a lot about cinema, yeah, and its history. And they are, and they and they are really uh, creative and interesting, interesting in their programming choices. Uh, so I don't want to judge them. Well, this I don't want to. I, I and I I don't think uh, I know, we don't want to take too long because we want this episode to be a little shorter. But um, it's late. It's very late. Um, but uh, I actually I think that their uh, choice of Labyrinth and then Return to Oz I think that was more than merely than mere nostalgia because at the very least those two films are a nice portrait of just how batshit crazy uh, kids films in the eighties could be. Uh-huh. I mean, you watch that, you watch, um, and it's, it's, they're also you know directed by Jim Henson and Walter right. Murch respectively. Like right. they're they have a place in yeah. actual. Uh, cinephilia. Yeah, and they're and they're just they're. I, I think they're genuinely good films. They're crazy, and I can't imagine any child that would watch them and not be terrified <laughs> perpetually. But, but yeah, they're just. Uh, I, I I I like what they did, but unfortunately, as will often happen, you know. And I've I've talked about this on the show when I went to see Jaws and when I went to see uh, Aliens at a midnight show. And of course, midnight show you expect a little, you know, whatever. But um, but for example. 
Uh, my wife, Jen, went to see Back to the Future uh, for oh, the right. for the twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, off the air, and there was uh, there was a guy sitting next to her who clearly loved the movie, but could not stop himself from repeating the lines of Doc Brown mm-hmm. as if nobody had heard them or as if the sound was off. But he, I'll help out everyone. Don't worry. Um, and it just, uh, I remember once uh, I told you the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with our friend Mark to see yeah. a midnight screening of This is Spinal Tap, and there's a guy behind us who, throughout the movie, would start laughing right before the joke. Ugh. Just to prove that he knows he knows the movie so well. Yeah. In the theater full of 450 people, he's the biggest fan. Yeah. Because he remembers every joke before it happens. It's It can be very frustrating, and I find myself wondering if it's just that attitude of where people will go to see, you know, like a revival of a, of a film or whatever, and... Um, and I wonder if the attitude is just, well, we've all seen it, so what does it matter if I do this, if I, I say this? I think the attitude is more about the sort of competitive insecurity of the average nerd. Yeah. And that they, uh, you know, if you're staking your claim as a nerd, then you're supposed to know certain things, and they feel like they need to prove that they know right. these things. It's like, I know we're all seeing this now, but hey, I've seen it before. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? You've seen Spinal Tap before? Wow, that's quite Wait, an achievement. What movie? I'm sorry, this is Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. That's what I thought you were talking about. Oh, man, that guy would have cru- crucified me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's very frustrating. You know, we I feel like we, we sometimes are so negative uh, on this show. <laughs> but, man, sometimes you just can't help it. Like, I just, it astounds me. At the world is an awful place. You, you well, can't help being negative. Yeah, it, it's pretty rough. Um <laughs> But you know it's it's odd that you bring up the the Danforth France show uh because we somebody uh some blogger down in Houston who was writing for like a, like an official Houston newspaper made reference to our show uh-huh. to that episode and uh and then proceeded to talk about how all of our complaints were not that big of a deal and that really it's not a not a problem for him and just like it's like oh they they think this is bad but actually this is worse and it's like they think you know children screaming or or you know is a bad thing but like just it's worse when you bring your kids to like horror movies it's like how about this it's all bad like yeah. what what <laughs> and just and him talking about like it's like you know they talk about how uh, how awful it is that people talk about uh, you know talk in film but frankly i expect that movies are just going to be like this social thing in 10 years it's like yeah Let's, how about let's bemoan that because that's a horrible thing. Yeah, you know, let's not resign ourselves yeah. to that fate. At, at least let's not resign ourselves quite so joyfully uh, as he seems to be. But uh, but yeah, it's I, I don't quite know what point I'm making except that uh, well, David, know, we were, it's a shame. Yes, you know we were talking about movies from the '80s. Okay, uh, that have a sort of a cult following. Absolutely. Um, now the very first movie, at the top of my list. Okay. For t- for this week's topic. All right. Is a movie from the eighties with quite not a cult, uh, not a cult at all of, of just a very strong generational nostalgic following. Okay, and that's John Hughes' The Breakfast Club. Okay, I think so. Let's I, get into it, shall we? I thought you were either going to go Breakfast Club or Clue, oh, uh, which is sure. on mine. Um, uh, well, let's let's slow down. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Uh, I guess was it last last episode mm-hmm. we talked about movies that take place in one day. Yes. This week we're going to talk about movies that take place in one place. Yes. Uh, this one suggested by the same guy that uh, suggested last week's... He gave uh, us like three pages worth of suggestions. This thing, man, it was a godsend. I was so excited. It's like, oh, somebody... It's like we just got renewed for another three seasons. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, so moves that take place... And I place, promise we'll get back to some more academic discussions in a few weeks, I'm sure. This, 
I'll, I'll try to make this academic and joyless, David. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, okay, so Breakfast Club, you brought it up. It's, it's the first one on your list. Uh-huh. Uh, is that because it's just the first thing that popped into your mind? Yeah. Or? Okay. Actually, it's the second that pops into my mind. Okay. But I ended up placing a rule on myself, which I don't think yeah. you placed on yourself, and that's fine. I sure didn't. I ruled out movies that take place in real time yeah. because I feel like that's worth an episode on its own. It is. So actually, will, the first movie yeah. that I thought of was 12 Angry Men. Uh, yes, of course. Me too. Um, but then Breakfast Club came up. Okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is sort of the uh, the quintessential movie that takes place in one place because it, mm-hmm. it uses the place not only as a symbol for yeah. uh, the microcosm of society that Breakfast Club is right. supposed to be uh, or, or of teen society, rather, yeah. specifically, that Breakfast Club is supposed to be laying out for us. Mm. Um, but it also y- uses another thing we'll see often in the one place movies is that it's a sort of petri dish yeah. that you put. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember how many people. It's let's see, the jock, the princess, the brain, the uh, basket the burnout, case, the and basket criminal. case, the criminal, and yeah. the basket case. Is that it? Five? Yeah, that's five. Oh, I thought there was a six. Okay, there's also a janitor. Right, and, and then uh, there's the Paul Gleason. Yeah, yeah. You you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Um, I have to assume so. He's great in that movie. He's great in that movie. Um, are you just repeating what I say? I just it's <laughs> it's. I want it to be more emphatic because he's just a. He he does make it look surprisingly effortless, at playing a character that's a villain but is also a real guy. Yeah, and it's know? also very funny. And, yeah, exactly. Which. Another role of his, which almost made my list until I realized that it doesn't actually all take place in one place, is mm. Die Hard. Yeah. And Paul Gleason is hilarious in Die Hard. Yeah. Possibly the funniest line in the movie is after the roof blows up and the hel- the FBI helicopter <laughs> crashes and Paul Gleason says, well, it looks like we're going to need some new FBI guys. <laughs> or I think he says we're going to need some new FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it because in that moment, you kind of feel like, I don't think a real cop would say FBI guys. FBI guys. I think that's more like a 10-year-old trying to understand the situation. Yeah. But it's still funny. Um, but that's also kind of what, what his character is. Yes, yes. Uh, anyway, this off the beside the point. Yeah. Well, I, I was talking about the Petri dish. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the aspect you take people who um, have, uh, you know, sometimes opposite or competing personalities yeah. or personality traits, or in the case of Breakfast Club, just represent opposite parts of right. the teen society, uh, and you put them in one place for as long as it takes, usually about ninety to one hundred twenty yeah. minutes, um, to to come to some sort of conclusion, yeah, or or some sort of catharsis, yeah, uh, and that's uh, I guess I guess that Breakfast Club Breakfast Club certainly isn't the best movie on my list, right, um, but. It's like um, like Clue, um, like I'm guessing Cube, which I haven't seen. Nor have I. Um, I haven't seen Saw Two. Um, you haven't. You mean to tell me you have not seen Saw Two? Seriously? Seriously. I'm joking, of course. Oh, okay, <laughs> I was confused. Acting. I saw the first one in the theater, and that's the only one I've seen. I haven't seen any of them. Um, the first one's funny. Is it in a, on purpose? In like a dark way. I don't oh, know okay. if it's supposed to be funny or not. Okay. Because you know, okay. You know what happens at the end, right? With Carrie Elwes? I don't, actually. Okay. He has to harm himself in a way that should be uh, harrowing, and for some reason, because of the way Carrie Elwes is playing it, is very funny to me. And I think that might be a function of Carrie Elwes. Not our best actor, actually. Yeah, he's... Yeah. He's pretty rough. 
Um, he has his moments, but they're few and far between. Um, yeah, Breakfast Club is an interesting thing. And in fact, th- this will probably be uh, a running theme in a lot of the stuff that I say is that uh, a lot of the films that I talk about, because you talk about it being a microcosm, you know, uh-huh. and in the case of, of The Breakfast Club, it really, okay, this is going to sound really lofty and very, okay. maybe a little pretentious. It's it's quintessentially American. It's the idea that all these people are in one place. They, in a sense, it's almost like a prison movie or a war film. Uh-huh. People that would normally never hang out, would never want to talk to each other, now have to. Yeah. Because if they're going to make this thing work at all, if they're going to get through this day without you know becoming really bored, which I guess the the, the kind of low stakes, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> if they if they if they want to do that, then they have to work together. They have to recognize their differences, uh, work past them, and and all that. Which is to me the essence of what America is. Like if we're going to make this thing work, we need to recognize that we need to like we need to work with people that we normally would not be caught dead with but you have to do it yeah you know and uh and it's just and of course it's uh this this mid i don't know the film has always seemed more fable-like and uh allegorical than an actual real thing and yet because the one location thing is specific it's specific to one location this right. is, uh, i want to talk about something that louis ck the comedian has said about about his act okay about he says uh, he says the m- the more specific you are as That's a comedian, right. the more relatable you are. Yeah. Um, in a way that it seems it's counterintuitive, but it actually yeah. makes a lot of sense. It's sort of I- I'm sure I've gone off before think, my problem about movies that never tell you what city they're in. Yeah. In fact, I think you you brought up this exact quote some episode relatively oh, okay. recently, but That's uh, probably true. Because um, I-, I hate that because everyone lives in a city and there are specific things about a city and that will make it makes it more. Yeah. Relatable. No one actually lives in a city. Not, I, I shouldn't say everyone lives in a city. There are you know yeah. we- weirdos out there who don't live in cities. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Thank that's you. my that's my uh, urban bias. Indeed. Um, but no one lives in a place that doesn't have a name or any right. defining characteristics. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so what you yeah what you see with with Breakfast Club and a lot of these movies is they're saying something about either the either the world at large or a large type of people, a yeah. chunk of society. Uh, and they're narrowing their scope so that it's just almost so that it's even digestible or so that, mm-hmm. they, you, you know, you couldn't tell this story unless you're like Charles Dickens and you have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages. You can't tell this story um, on the actual grand scale that it exists in real life. Right. And I use I, I talk about Dickens and England and use words like society for a reason because I'm getting to my next sort of group of films or type of films, mm-hmm. which is the sort of uh, country estate yeah I've films got that. you know uh or or just the you know it's certainly gashford park uh and then there were none yeah is, is one of them and then even uh some that are near the genre uh louis bunuel bunuel's the exterminating angel yeah or um the uh house on haunted hill with vincent price yeah and probably the remake with chris Kattan, but Stan i didn't see reason, it. yes chris Kattan's in that right uh yes he is <laughs> i know <laughs> Thirteen Ghosts. Yeah, you'll find it in horror oh, right. movies a I, lot. Yeah, I saw. I did see Thirteen Ghosts, the remake, not the yeah, original. Right. Yes, I've also seen the remake. And Haunting, the Haunting, I've seen the remake, the Jean de Bont yeah remake, and not the original. But with House on Haunted Hill, I've seen the Vincent Price one. Okay. Um, kind of helps your cred, I think, a little bit. I think so. Yeah. Um. And th- yeah, these are often movies about. Uh, 
upper crust society. Yeah. And I think that's often why they're horror movies or murder mysteries, because the whole idea is to see uh, rich people who are who appear to be untouched by the grimier yeah. parts of life participating in some vile acts yeah. or just getting hacked apart because you're the we're we the viewing audience are the proletariat and we would and we want to see our you know <laughs> the those uh in the ca- you're giving me a weird look but those in the casts above us yeah uh get punished for I just love when you bring your uh marxism into this I'm not a marxist sure I am a capitalist first and foremost I, yes, okay. I believe in capitalism. <laughs> and amongst certain groups, nothing is more profitable than acting like a Marxist. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying you're a Marxist. I'm joking, of course. Right, but you're talking about Michael Moore. Um, <laughs> no question about it. Um, <laughs> you're a rich man, Michael Moore. Go to a tailor. Get a haircut. <laughs> nothing wrong with looking presentable while you're making your point. Um, it's, yeah, fair enough. Um, but there is a... Uh, yeah, I think it's it's... There's a certain appeal in seeing this ter- these terrible things happen to often terrible people, whether they be like rich people like in a murder mystery, but nine times out of ten in a horror movie, like, well, these people are either dumb or mean or whatever, except one person. Right. And that's the person I want to live in. Lo and behold, there they, there they are living. But uh, I think what I, I think the, the inherent terror slash suspense of these events taking place in one location is that there's... There's a couple things that you have to face. One is that you're there with it. You can't get away from it. Now, of course, in the case of a country estate, you can probably hop in your car and drive away. But usually there's like some kind of inclement weather kind of thing. <laughs> right. But like um, Clue also definitely belongs yeah. in this. And then one, it's not, a, it's not in a house, but Murder on the Orient Express, which oh, takes sure, place on yeah. a train that is stuck in the snow. Um, but it doesn't get stuck in the snow immediately. But uh, just the fact that it's always moving. You can't jump off. And right. then when it does get stuck in the snow, you can't jump off because then you'll freeze to death. Uh-huh. And just so not only can you not leave, but there's the realization the murderer's not the murderer is still there. You uh-huh. can't just go ahead and you can't just say, well, it's some random thing. You know, my house was broken into in the middle of the city and now the guy's gone. You know, he's still there. The murderer is inside the house and you can't get away from him and uh, or her. Okay. M- Mrs. Peacock, um, right. among others. But uh, and there's just that realization, just like oh, I can't leave. Neither can they. So now what do I? Now I just need to focus on not being killed. But then, of course, when it comes to as you mentioned the class thing, the idea that these people are usually untouched by the criminal element, that that views them from a from a victim's point of view. But also the realization that these people who are so civil and so nice. Apparently, they're not quite as civil and nice as we thought because right. one of them is still capable of doing this terrible thing. And it's, uh, you know, we named all these movies and I forgot the the main one, the, mm-hmm. the biggest one of all, which is The Rules of the Game. Indeed. Which is, I can't remember, was that on my ten best ten movies of all time? Yes. It's up there. Yes, it is. Okay. It's uh, seriously one of the best movies ever made. It really is wonderful. And um, that's a movie about uh, just how uh, petty shallow mm-hmm. crude yeah uh and cruel rich people can be in which there is a murder element but yeah. you wouldn't really call rules of a game a murder mystery oh like, no not at all it's not it doesn't dominate that much of the plot yeah uh which is uh, almost damning uh, not only i think it's specifically damning in itself that it's not yeah 
this murder isn't that big a deal to these people. It's almost just like, well, just, oh, hell, one more thing to do. <laughs> right. You know, uh, which is solve and probably cover up this more this murder. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's I'm trying to think. I'm trying. Let me look at my uh, my list here. How now? How how strict were you? Because I I tried to be very strict. I was like, I, I was not very strict. I ruled off Die Hard. Okay. you know because some places some scenes you know opens on a plane. You right. see, um, oh, uh, Reginald Val Johnson yeah. outside the outside the building. I ruled out Das Boot because there's a couple scenes. Yeah. Uh, off the submarine. So yeah. I, I was I was very strict. Maybe maybe needlessly so. I would say so. Um, the uh, because to me, I, I tried to keep it to where not merely the bulk of the action because you know, just because action takes place in one location, that doesn't necessarily mean that that location is a big part of it. But um, but the in the inherent just the thrust of the story is inescapable from that location. For example. Phone booth. Phone booth takes place various places around the city, but uh-huh. the the majority of the film takes place in and around this phone booth. And but it's not just that it takes place there; it's that of course it it needs to take place there. It has to take place there for n- any number of reasons. One is that the nature of what a phone booth is. Of course, some people. I sound really old now, but I don't remember the last time I used a pay, uh, pay phone, and. Of course, phone booths themselves. Uh, I don't live in New York, but are are they still around? I don't know. I don't know. So, uh, listeners, any listeners we have in New York, email me and let me know if there's uh, still phone booths there. But um, the you nature we do have in New York. What's that? They have Blockbuster uh, kiosks. The way we have Redbox. Oh here. yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the next the next step. Blockbuster. But I, I think is I, always I, one step behind. But I think Redbox isn't a big thing there. I think really? Redbox is bigger over here, and Blockbuster kiosks are bigger over there. Well, you know, some people have Hardee's, some people have Carl's Jr. It's just the way it works. Yeah. What is the dividing line on that, by the way? I have no idea. I've only known because I grew up in California, so I always thought of the go- the gold smiling star, Carl's Jr. Uh-huh. And then I move out to uh, you know Denver and Missouri and all that, and they're all Hardee's. So in Denver, it's Hardee's. Yeah, I think so. Because in Oklahoma, it's Carl's Jr. This whole thing's insane. It's. <laughs> this it seems like this company like, needs to be okay, stopped. If your radio station, depending, it depends on where you are, which side of the Mississippi you're on. Okay. It starts the mighty your, Mississippi. Your, your, your call letters start with either a K over here yeah. or a W over there. Okay. Why, why can't these Carl's Jr. people get it together and, and, and just set out a clear dividing line? This is Carl's Jr. country. This is Hardy's country. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so we'd stop all this, like, infighting in the border states. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they're just, I call them battle zones, David. Yeah. Um, what the hell was I saying? I don't know. Something, uh, about, shoot. something about Carl's Jr., I'm sure. That's, no, that is what I was saying. Shoot, I have completely lost <laughs> what are we my talking train about? of thought. We were talking about rules of the game a while ago. Yeah, that was We were talking about Leslie ago. Nielsen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome aboard. <laughs> oh, man. I am I am out. Oh, phone booth. Okay, here we go. Phone <laughs> okay. booth. Thank you. Um, why, did I say, why did I thank you? You were nothing but a hindrance. Um, so uh, the nature of what a phone booth is is that it gives the impression of safety and secrecy. But it, but in many ways, you could not be more vulnerable. Uh-huh. You are in a nice case where if someone wanted to shoot at you, they could quite easily, and they yeah. know exactly where you are. Or run you over like a truck with with a truck, like at the beginning of the Matrix. That's right. Yes, absolutely. And so I feel like that's that's one of the great things about Phone Booth. I like the movie Phone Booth quite a bit, actually. And 
what I like, and that's what I like about it is is just how necessary. Because it's not just payphone. It's not that he's standing at a payphone. It needs to be in this little thing that becomes essentially a cage. Because uh-huh. it could look like a cage if you look at it, if you think of it the right way. And that's and that's the brilliance of that movie is that. And that's why I, I count it as taking place in one location, because it could not take place anywhere else, and the bulk of it happens there. I'm going to take issue with your use of the word brilliance in relation to Phone Booth, because I okay. didn't like it very much. Okay. There, there's one great thing about it, which uh, is that they hired Keeper Sutherland. Oh, well, yeah. Because he's great. Yeah, and they and they give him good dialogue to uh-huh. say, and I think Colin Farrell does a great job in it as being a character that is not really very likable. Um Colin Farrell has really, certainly since then, but in the last few years, he's really come about in people's minds. I think it might have been in Bruges that made people think, like, wow, this guy, something different now. Like, he's, once somebody's He's, he's like they, the new Johnny Depp. Maybe. Which means that uh, in a few, in maybe ten years or so, he'll sort of disappear, you know, inside, you know, his own ass and make stuff that no one's interested in seeing. Like what? Like everything Johnny Depp makes now? I enjoyed Sweeney Todd. Okay, all right. Hang on a but second. Charlie the Chocolate Factory. Hang on one minute. Okay, you bastards on the forum. I'm sorry that I just said I enjoy Sweeney Todd. Apparently I say it like once every half episode. But uh, You say I enjoy Sweeney Todd <laughs> once every half episode? Or I enjoy Sweeney Todd or I like Sweeney Todd. I had no idea I was saying that. I'd, I'm I'd, not really upset, by I'd the way. I'm here for every episode. I'd, if you if you had asked me before the episode, what are Tyler's thoughts on Sweeney Todd? I wouldn't be able to tell you <laughs> exactly. I'm not paying attention, apparently. Yeah, I'm not actually upset, but it fascinates me that there's someone paying that close of attention. <laughs> and now, of course, the minute they said it, and I'm like, "Well, I like Sweeney Todd." Damn it! There I am, putting myself in a box. But, uh, but I mean, look at I mean, Johnny Depp. Come on, come on, Johnny Depp. Another he, Pirates movie? Yeah. Now, okay, that thing is yeah. The, uh, Dark Shadows, the movie with Tim Burton. He just needs to get away from Tim Burton, I think, is the problem. I Yeah, I want to be like a third-grade teacher. Am I going to have to separate you two? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to keep wasting our, all our time with this claptrap, I'm going to separate you two. You know. Um, are you interested in The Tourist? Uh, sure. Yeah. To a, yeah, up to a point, right? I mean, I'm in wait-and-see mode on The Tourist. I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not uh, judging it out of hand like I am the Dark Shadows movie. Indeed. <laughs> um, claptrap. I love that word. Well done. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, Phone Booth is, not, is certainly not a perfect movie. I'm sorry to use the word uh, brilliant, except that the concept, I think, is one. It's very high concept, and they could have done it so much. They probably could have done it better, but they certainly could have done it worse. And at the very least, they really capture the suspense and, I would say, the genuine horror, not in the film genre sense of the word, but the horror of that character's situation. Can I, who wrote Phone Booth? Larry Cohen? I believe, I think yes. Okay. I hope I'm right because you said horror, and I thought this doesn't even fit into our topic. But okay. uh, there was an episode of Showtime's Masters of Horror anthology. Okay. Most of those weren't terrible, but there was a Larry Cohen one. Okay, where um, basically the premise was, and I can't remember who the, who played the younger serial serial killer, but it was Michael Moriarty. Okay, I like him. And a younger guy were both serial killers. Okay, who had both by happenstance picked the same victim. Played by Feruza Balk, I think. Oh, okay. And they well, spent I, the I entire can... hour trying to one up each other in order to see who would get to kill Feruza Balk. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It was a lot of fun. Here's what I like about that is uh, the idea of getting to see Feruza Balk die. <laughs> um, it's not, she's a very good actress, but she often is called upon to play characters that are incredibly annoying right. and grating. So, and she does it very well. It's, so it has nothing to do with her specifically, but chances are if she's in a, mo- in a movie, I welcome her death. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, back to the task at hand. Indeed. Um, phone booth I didn't put on my list because... It doesn't take place entirely within the phone. Indeed, booth, yes. I, I was I was way too strict. You're really limiting phone. yourself here, David. Um, because it, you're being very strict with the time thing and with the fact that like it needs to all absolutely at all times take place in one location. Yeah. All right. Um, but okay, well, let's let's move on. Okay. You know, I don't know that I do want to move on. Actually, I kind of want to go back to the country estate thing. Okay, I'm sorry to to um, have or, to or have moved the, us the along. horror thing and how many horror movies take place. Okay. Excuse me. In one place. Certainly, okay. um, uh, well, this isn't entirely uh, in one place, but Alien is yeah. almost completely confined to yeah. the Nostromo. And that's that's just part of, you know, uh, Evil Dead, they don't really leave yeah. the cabin or yeah. its immediate environs. Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Which, yeah, it has the beginning at yeah. the graveyard, but it's pretty much all in the house. Yeah. Um, yeah, the idea that you're stuck in one place yeah. uh, manages to add to the tension yeah and to uh again bring in that petri dish aspect mm-hmm. that i was talking about before but there's another movie that kind of turns the country estate thing on its on its ear okay and that would be uh alejandro amanabar's the others oh yes indeed um which is i i, I don't know i mean it's the movie's nine years old right i don't know yeah that it I is can yeah. spoil it uh, um, i figure i can right I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd it's, say it's so. One, there's, you know, we we talked a lot about spoilers and how they generally don't matter, but the yeah. others is one of those movies you probably don't want spoiled for you the first time. It still holds right. up, very much so. Yes, is is the good thing about it, but um, b- b- basically, it tells the house on a hundred hill from the other perspective. Yeah, in, in a way, in in a much more uh, uh, austere and um, yeah. quiet and mannered way. But mannered in, in a in a good way. I don't mean. Like, oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't mean like a Wesley. Yeah, it's very. You like it. It feels more just like a, like a straightforward drama with a couple of like a supernatural drama, with some you know, suspenseful, scary moments, and then you realize what it is actually revealing to you, uh-huh. and it's oh, it's just such it's such a beautifully paced film, and and I I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah, and, and it's a, 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 like, um. A great use of visual effects that you don't know are visual effects until you watch the special features. Yeah. Which is the how much of the fog yeah. in the outdoor scenes wasn't really there. Yeah. It's kind of weird to think about. But um uh, I, I, I just like I know I know certain people and certain people that I really respect are like more and more purist about yeah. when it comes to visual effects. Okay. And um I just want to hold movies up like this up as a an example that just because visual effects worsen a movie most of the time, yeah. doesn't mean they necessarily worsen a movie. They can, and often do, make it better. In, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the Others is a great example. Um, I'm a big fan of Robert Zemeckis' Castaway, which there's yeah, it's a movie that you wouldn't think of having a lot of effect shots, but yeah. there's hardly a movie in that shot that's not an effect well, shot. Forrest Gump itself. Right. I mean, th- those visual effects are literally in- invisible. Uh-huh. The whole idea is that you're not seeing them. Yeah, and but you've watched the Castaway special features. I right? have. It's insane. Like when he's climbing up to the top to get that rope. Yeah, you know, and they show like he's in a parking lot. Yeah, like literally <laughs> in a parking lot. Yeah. It's with like, like that's about not very cinematic. Five feet of rock, and the rest of it is 
Yeah. Well, I'm sure some people have been like, well, they just could have flooded that parking lot. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like a purist. So, <laughs> because, of, you know, physical... Well, uh, you know what? Let's not get into visual effects. We, we've had an episode about visual effects, but it was a, a long, long time, time ago. ago. I, don't I don't even know if the available. episode's available. No, it's not available. But it's something I would like to revisit at some point. Um, but there's another um, genre... Okay. Or or way that the single location thing is used that I want to talk about. Okay. Um, and you find this often in movies that are um, that are based on plays, mm-hmm. where the idea is that um, what's being said is more important than where it's happening. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, an imperfect imperfect movie, but a pretty good play. An okay play. David Mamet's Oleana. You know, is is a great example. It doesn't need to be all in one place, right? But in terms of economy, there's no reason for it not to be all in one place. So right. let's just do that and focus on what's what these characters are saying to each other. Which to me is actually, and I th- this is the first place my mind went when when uh, we had decided to go with this topic, um, which is if when you are making what is a chamber piece of course first i th- first thing i thought was 12 angry men second thing i thought was american buffalo also based mm-hmm. on a mammoth play and then oleana and you've got a couple of you've got a few options one is to see if you can take the action and move it somewhere else that's what james foley did with glengarry glen ross which mm-hmm. in the play it's either in the chinese restaurant or the office. That's it. Just those two places. And they took those scenes and, and put them all over the city, and it works surprisingly well. Uh-huh. Because you can almost always tell when something is based on a play, and then they've decided to take that dialogue and move it elsewhere, and you're like, eh, I can tell. You know, you can... Like in uh, Hurley Burley, when uh, when these two characters are talking to each other. Like, they live together, and then they both drive to work, and they're continuing the conversation on the phone, uh-huh. and then they both arrive at work, and then they continue the conversation in the office. That's almost kind of a that seems maybe maybe winking a little bit, uh-huh. which I, which I'm kind of okay with. Yeah. But um, but it also just seems like uh, you're just trying to escape the trappings, and right. I can I can tell that, and you don't have to do that. And that's that to me, I think, is the problem with Oleana as opposed to American Buffalo. Because to me, it's it's a lot like refusing to, as you said, refusing to acknowledge the city you're in, because your environment is definitely going to have an impact on your characters. City certainly, but where you are immediately, I'd say definitely, because in Oleana, it all takes place in this teacher's office, which of course means he's going to have a great deal more power. And I think Mamet directs that way, but refuses to let the place be a be a character. I don't usually like when people say, "Oh, the, the you know, the car is like another character. This <laughs> this city is like another character." It's like it, it's not. It's where everything's happening. But in the case of something like Oleana or certainly American Buffalo, I mean American Buffalo, they explore every inch of that space, and in that case it's a junk store, so there's a lot you can do with it. Right. But, you know, don't be like don't be afraid to just to to explore the space and don't try to shy away from it whether it means you know, arbitrarily leaving the place or just being afraid to, I don't know, being afraid to really look into what it would really mean for all of this to take place in this area, in this mm-hmm. place. And I think that's the big failing of Oleana is that it, it doesn't, I don't know, it's, it, it seems almost overwhelmed by its theatrical trappings as opposed to Glengarry Glen Ross, which effectively turns it into a film you know, with several locations, or American Buffalo, which totally utilizes 
the one location as and turns it into a movie. Oleana just feels like a film to play. It reminds me there are two um there are two episodes in the short fourteen episode run of Firefly okay. that um take place almost entirely on the ship and the, uh I'm thinking of out of gas and objects in space. Mm-hmm. Um and in in both cases the character's relationship to the place they live, the mm-hmm. ship, uh is a driving force in the story and yeah. and is what the episodes are exploring uh in 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 large ways. And I guess that's kind of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, the idea that um in Oleana it's a it's a room and a desk and it's his room, but that's not yeah. that's not fleshed out at all. Right. I mean there's I mean he's a you know, he's a professor. There's books on the on the bookshelves. There's like big, you know, globes. I mean it's it's very you can tell that the art director really wanted to flesh this place out and then the director and, and cinematographer just seem to have no interest in exploring it themselves. Yeah, and that's one of David Mamet's faults that he's yeah. not um he's so there's nothing lush about his direction at all and that's so he true. wants to he wants everything to be almost uh skeletal in its storytelling. Yeah. And so he's not interested in uh exploring uh William H. Macy's character's relationship to his office or yeah. you know it's his office because we're told it's his office but there's no point in the movie where I really feel like it's his yeah. office or this is a place that he's more comfortable than other places or yeah, whatever he, he could have just as easily been using a colleague's office because his was just too messy <laughs> you know um, yeah that, but that's a great way of putting it is uh, we know it's his office only because it's a thing we know we certainly don't feel it um, but uh, and I did want to bring up I did want to bring up 12 Angry Men um, because though it does take place in real time, uh, that's, that's your limitation, not mine. So if you want, you can just, you know, keep quiet for the next couple minutes. Let's go for a walk. Uh, (laughs) Just go ahead, you know, whatever. Um, but that, that to me is another, another example of a filmmaker refusing to like, Acknowledging this all has to take place in one location, there's no question about it. In one, in in this case, one room, and then and then of course there's a bathroom, but uh, it all takes place in one room around one table. There's nowhere that a person can go for privacy except that bathroom. But even then, conversations take place there as well. Um, so he recognizes that, doesn't try to escape it, just tries to to use that because there's an inherent claustrophobia in these movies. I mean, we have. I have not seen the movie Buried, nor have no, I seen the movie Devil. But those, of course, take place in incredibly confined locations. Um, but, uh, but depending on how you shoot them, if you're, you know, not a good, uh, you know, if, if you're not a good director or you don't have a good DP, those could see, you know, uh, that elevator could seem like the roomiest place in the world. <laughs> Whereas with Twelve Angry Men, it takes place in, uh, you know, a jury room that seems pretty pretty roomy lots of lots of space for someone to walk around in and then as the film moves on based on how he's move how he moves the camera around and letting the 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 characters personalities become bigger and bigger the bigger they get the smaller the room gets and it just and by the end you just feel so claustrophobic and so mm-hmm. choked by the tension between these characters um i think that to me the way he he shoots Twelve Angry Men is to me like the textbook of how to shoot in one location, specifically one room. Well, depending on what you're going for, because you've described right. 
there because there's one movie I know we want to wrap this up uh, and could do this a quick episode, but there's one movie I really wanted to get to. Okay, and I found a way in here. In in Twelve Angry Men, the the space is almost antagonistic to the characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, none of them want to be there. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm thinking of a movie that explores. It's almost the idea of uh, home field advantage. That okay. Your familiarity with a place makes the place. And I guess this is what happens in Firefly too, in, in objects mm-hmm. in space. But um, it, it it makes the place an ally. Your relationship to a place makes you more comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this movie does break a couple rules of my rules. Cause I think there's like sidewalk and hallway okay. shots. But I'm thinking of Wait Until Dark, which is also based Wait on until a play. Wait Until Dark, yeah. Um, am I right? I haven't seen it in a while. I know there's stuff in the hallway. Is there stuff in the uh, street? I, yes, a character I believe is run over by a car. Oh, that's right. Um, okay. In uh, like a parking lot somewhere or something. Um but this is a movie about uh, a blind woman. Yeah. So she's at a disadvantage when these, you know, there's essentially a home invasion. Yeah. Uh, but she uses her familiarity with her with her place, with her yeah. space, her area, her home, mm. uh, to to win. Spoilers. I mean. Yeah, yeah. The movie's what forty six years old. I'd say that's about right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not good with math, David. I think it came out in sixty four. Okay. Anyway. Um. So I, I I just wanted to use that as sort of a two sides of the coin. Yeah. That, you know, um, a space that doesn't belong to anyone, like a pub. Uh, you know, a little. I say a, pu- a public space, like in Twelve Angry Men. I mean, public in the fact that it's not privately owned. It's right. Owned by the city. Um, overpowers them. It almost represents uh, the. The system to you to, yeah. to, to flash back to my fifteen year old like self who listened to Crass a lot. Yeah, uh, it, it represents um, the 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 system that they're trying to be individual individualistic enough to yeah. to, to rage against. It's really it, it, I think it's cut from the same cloth as the Breakfast Club. You know, right? It's this public space and yeah. different character archetypes and all that. Um, whereas Wait Until Dark is very much about private space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, it is. This is. I, I'm trying to like stab in the dark, actually. Uh, find like a, a a lid to put on this episode, like a nice little oh. bow to put on it. Hang on a second. And, and I feel like I'm getting there with this, with this idea yeah. that um, uh, a, a, the space that you're in can either uh, help you or fight against you. Yeah. Depending on your relationship to it, you almost have to. Uh, sometimes you have to acquiesce to it, yeah, and sometimes you have to again rage against it. And and as a and as a filmmaker, and I would say also as an actor, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, a, a, where you are is just as important as the costume you're wearing. You need to immediately know what your relationship to that space is. You look at something like Wait Until Dark. She lives there, so she knows what it's like, even if she even if she is blind, and she eventually uses her familiarity with the place in the dark, she uses that to her advantage and wins, you know. Mm-hmm. You look at just how, you know, integral her relationship to the place is and how she uses it as opposed to the general, just the the passiveness of William H. Macy's relationship to, the office, to his office in Oleana. And it's just, you know, an, I feel like, well, I mean, I guess almost anybody. Like, the writer certainly needs to know how the space will affect uh, uh-huh. the character. 
the director certainly needs to know, and as an extension of him, that's the DP needs to know, and of course the actor. And I'd say probably the editor as well, but he's also, uh, in this case, an offshoot of the director. But, um, you know, like cutting away to certain to certain things that might be meaningful to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was in a directing class, and uh, and my teacher put out this really interesting idea of their of of a charged object which is there are some things that that's in all of our lives and it's something we interact with frequently and you and just being in the same space as that thing mm-hmm. you can't help the person whether consciously or unconsciously unconscious, they always know it's there and is and because they do the audience also does as well and so thinking in those terms like even just you know you listening at home like at your at your work or at your house think of like the objects that you are always interacting with it could be a light it could be whatever now imagine a movie is taking place there and and the director and and the director is like not making a big deal of those objects it would feel counterintuitive right you know and that's that's the role that location can play more specifically in something where the location plays such a big role um um, I hate to uh, <laughs> to wrap up with a movie that's actually not that good, but okay. uh, a movie that does almost the opposite of what you're saying and uses it to good effect. It's not the reason the movie failed. Okay. Uh, it almost it's almost the neutrality of place. Is Steven Spielberg's, Spielberg's The Terminal? Oh, okay, um, yeah. It it really is. It's more. St- I don't know if you ever read Dawn by Octavia Butler. Hmm. Um, it's a science fiction story in which a woman uh, has been basically abducted by aliens and now has to readjust to a completely alien world mm-hmm. and even though tom hanks character is a human yeah <laughs> he is almost essentially a complete alien he has no yeah. relationship to the airport at the beginning yeah he has no preconceived ideas uh, or about it or feelings toward it or doesn't feel he doesn't feel any any friendship or animosity toward the airport itself mm-hmm. it's it's almost it's almost like limbo Except that there are there are antagonistic forces and right. personified by Stanley Tucci, uh, is that right? Yep. Yeah, Stanley Tucci. Um, and he just it's it's basically sort of about the way that a guy uh, with nothing, both physically or culturally, no, mm-hmm. he has no foothold at all. Yeah, and he builds a life for himself. Well, I mean, it, so yeah. so I mean, even though the terminal. Takes place entirely in one place. It's actually almost about a complete lack of location. At f- at first, and then of course, it becomes to be an extension of him. Yeah, and I feel like that's also something. I know we do need to finish up. I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I-, I feel like that film is a very good example of how we, I maybe as Americans, but I'd say certainly people, but I feel like Americans especially, um, how there are things that are inherently impersonal usually businesses um or maybe a doctor's office or whatever Mm -hmm. they're inherently impersonal but because we you know interact with them so much after a while not only do they become personal they become vaguely comforting Uh for example for me this might be embarrassing i'm not sure target really all right if i go like if I, uh, whenever I move to a new place, consumerist pig. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, when I go to like a new place, I don't immediately seek out the Target. But if I find they have one, I'm like, oh, good. I know because I know what's available, and I know you know uh, that I can go there to get a certain thing or whatever. Um, 
And so there's the certain there's the comfort of what that place provides. But once you walk in, because they're all basically the same, and it feels the minute you walk in, you can you can almost fool yourself into thinking you're back home, uh-huh. where it's safe and familiar. Because this place is safe and familiar. That's the nature of it. It's the nature of a McDonald's or, or you know, any of these yeah. places. And after a while, they those places become home perhaps even more than your actual home is because for some people that is all, that's transitory constantly. Right. Whereas McDonald's is always the same. You know. Uh-huh. I don't like McDonald's by the way. Not not like I like Target. Uh-huh. But uh and I, I feel remember like the, when I was new to living in a city. Okay. In Chicago, and I think I was lost or I was walking to a movie theater. I wasn't sure. Uh, I was so new to being in a city that I didn't know how right. to tell if I was in a good part of town or a bad part of town. Yeah. And then I saw a subway, like not an actual, <laughs> like a subway sandwich shop. And I, yeah. was, and I almost felt like, okay, I'm, I it, I feel bad about it now because Subway's not good. Yeah. Subway's not good at all. Yeah. And by the way, don't get breakfast there. I think. <laughs> I think uh, Jim Bruce from the Paul Goble show pointed this out. It's like, why would you buy eggs from a place that doesn't have a stove? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's crazy. It's creepy to me that Subway has breakfast anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember that, that was I was still a new, still pretty much a suburbanite living yeah. in the city, and I felt comfort when I saw yeah. the subway up ahead. Which is something I'm amazed that I actually wrote Night of the Living Dead and didn't write Dawn of the Dead, given what we are talking about right uh-huh. now. That this place, you know, it's about a people who in the middle of a zombie apocalypse find themselves in the middle of a mall and uh-huh. all of their and it's like heaven it's like paradise all of their needs are taken care of in this mall and after a while it becomes it becomes home to them they they become just as familiar with this mall as uh as they would you know their own house uh-huh. and uh which of course is and and the idea that the zombies are attracted to the mall because people go to where right. they instinctive you know the, the zombies right. go where they instinctively did in life um, well, maybe this is why I'm so uncomfortable around Carlos Jr. Because it's like Bizarro Hardies. <laughs> anyway, on that note, you okay. can find us at BattleshipRetention.com or in iTunes. You can email us, David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at Twitter.com slash ThePretension. Or you can follow Tyler on Twitter. Not It's not either or. You can do right, both. Right. Yeah. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MoreLessons, which is the official Twitter feed of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at MoreThanOneLesson.com or in iTunes. And you can find my weekly, semi-weekly, uh, t- uh, uh, occasionally weekly television yeah. review podcast previously on at PreviouslyOnShow.com or in iTunes. Absolutely. And uh, I wanted to uh, put myself out there a little bit. So... Um, there is a new episode of More Than One Lesson. I, What's it on? It's about the film The Messenger, and the uh, companion film is uh, Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead. Ah. So uh, I mention it because I do an episode like every four or five weeks now, <laughs> and so it's like, hey, this is like an event. Um, <laughs> so there's that, so you can go and, and listen to that. And then uh, uh, is it okay if I mention the podcast Podcast awards? Yeah, vote for More Than One Lesson in the podcast awards. Yeah. So once again... Battleship Pretension has failed to be nominated for the podcast awards. We don't need them. We don't, exactly. We're too good for awards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, however, my other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is not too good for awards, uh, is nominated in the religion category. So uh, uh, between December 1st and the 15th, so it's been going for a while once this airs, um, uh, you can vote once a day. Uh, so if you want to help. Per IP address. Right. Wait, uh, well, per email address, I believe. Oh, per email address. Yes. Oh, so, so you, could, you don't even have to go to a different computer. 
No, you don't. You can you just can vote just... all day. You can set up email accounts to vote. It doesn't cost anything. Right. Do people yeah. know that? The email accounts are free? Uh, well, I certainly know. I mean, I've, I've got like right, eight Right, but we're internet things. insiders. Oh, absolutely. Double I. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so you can go and do that. I would certainly appreciate it. I, I don't expect uh, to win because I've looked at the competition and they've got way more listeners than I do. However, I'm almost positive that Battleship Pretension has more listeners than they do. So, uh, help me out. Yeah, let's go, do it. Because there's not a great deal of prestige associated with the podcast awards. But they do have a good-looking trophy, and I'd like one. Okay. So, uh, you know, I already have enough uh, Riddlers on my shelf. I need something that actually looks impressive to, to strangers. So, um, so yeah, help me out with that. And uh, in the meantime, uh, the live show went well. I'm sure it did. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.